The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. First Peter chapter 1. We're looking at the first two verses of chapter one, this introductory greeting that we see from Peter. I'm reading from the ESV translation. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Thus the reading of God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we do realize that uh, we need your spirit so that we might understand the the hearing of your word uh, and be able to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would help us now, that, uh, that you would fill us and nourish us with this word. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated, brothers. I don't know if you all have noticed, but uh, it's been subtle. The world has lost its mind. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple in that regard. The world that we once knew is no longer, at least not the world that I knew, is, is no longer. I remember when I, when I first started seminary, I was this wide-eyed, I wasn't young, but I was this wide-eyed um, young man who had uh, had, had come into the ministry after really struggling with it, and I finally gave in to the, the leading of the Lord, and I, I foolishly told myself, you know what, it'll be okay, I'll, I'll go into seminary, I'll get a degree, I'll learn how to preach, uh, I'll go and take a, a church, and there really won't be any controversy in my life at all. Uh, I'll, you know, the people of God will be nice, nobody's going to really, you know, push back on, on the Word of God. Uh, and you, you hear this, and I'm looking at your faces, and some of you are smiling and giggling under your beards, and, and I realized that it, is, it was foolishness. It, I was looking at the world with ro- rose-colored glasses, but brothers, even the world that, that I was looking at then, that world doesn't ex- exist anymore. That world has long been gone. It is now very obvious that believers are in a state that we have not been in in a long time in this country. We are now strangers in this world. We are are now no longer respected as uh, as citizens, but now we are considered bigots who would like to suppress the world and and the truth of the world. We are now outcasts, strangers, sojourners, foreigners, and we see persecutions that, uh, that once were not commonplace and that are commonplace to Christians all around the world throughout history, But those persecutions are now starting to make uh, a nest in this country. And so we see more and more persecutions starting. And as we look on the horizon, we see more. And we need to be ready and strengthen ourselves for what is to come. And as as we see this world and, and as it darkens before us, where do we get our encouragement? Where do we find our hope? How do we equip ourselves and gird ourselves up for the battle that is ahead of us? Of course, you know the answer to this. The answer is from the word of God. And so as we look at this passage, you might uh, might hear the the text from 1 Peter and you might think, what a strange senior sermon. Why of all the scriptures that you you could have chosen, all of the things that you could have used to equip us for that battle, would you choose the opening greeting of 1 Peter? And what you have to understand is that as believers, even, even seasoned believers, 
when we open our Bibles on a regular basis and we read daily, it is so easy when we get to passages like this to skim over it and to say, all right, yep, Peter's writing to these people and let's get to the meat. But what we have to understand is that these passages of scripture, like all the other scripture, are inspired. They're given to us by God for a purpose. And texts like this cannot be ignored. They cannot be skimmed over. And really what we'll find is there is a great richness. They hold, these passages like this hold a great truth and they hold doctrines that can be applied to us and our lives. And so Peter in this particular passage is giving us a basic summary and setting the foundation for the rest of the book. He's not only giving it to us, but he's giving it to his readers. He's letting them know what is coming and giving them that foundation. And so what I want us to see from the opening verses of this text is that as exiles, you can stand strong and find peace through trials by the grace already received from God. I'll say that again. As exiles, you can stand strong and find peace through through trials by the grace already received from God. And we'll look at this passage really in two main headers. First, exiles stand strong as the elect. And then secondly, exiles find peace through trials by that grace already received. So as we open this text, we we see Peter introducing himself as the author of this text. And he labels himself as this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He gives himself the title of an apostle. And an apostle, not of anyone, uh, anyone else, but Christ Jesus himself. And you would think, well, we know what that means because we have the fullness of scripture. But did the people who he's writing to know what that meant? And the answer is, of course, yes. The, the first century church, this title was given <coughs> to only those who were able to give an authentic testimony of the life, the works the the miracles of God, even the death and resurrection of Christ himself. And so what Peter is doing is he's laying out for uh, for these people the authority that he has as a a, um, uh, apostle. And even the the apostles uh, in that time were known as prophets. They they were prophets uh, even equal to Old Testament prophets because they were bringing that new news, that good news, that new covenant to the people of God. And so Peter is laying out the title that these people are to know him by and the authority that he has to bring them this message. And this is very interesting. I mean, Peter is a, is a fascinating study in and of himself in the, in the life of Peter. But you, when you think of Peter, you think of some really great things, some really, really high moments and some really low moments. And you have to remember that Peter... This this man is one of the the same apostles who was arguing with the other apostles and disciples of who was greatest among them. And so in in simply stating that he is only an apostle of Jesus Christ, he is showing the the sanctification and the growth in his own Christian life here. I mean, he could have said many things in arrogance and, and told these people, you need to listen to me because this, because I was the first one called by Christ in uh, Matthew 4, or you need to listen to my letter because I walked on water with Christ, as we see in Matthew 14, or you need to listen to me because I witnessed the transfiguration of Christ, and 
you, the list goes on and on. He could even say, I'm the one that washed the feet of Christ at the Lord's Supper, saw the empty tomb. There are many things he could have added to this, but he doesn't. He simply says that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of this message that I bring you, you should listen to what I have to say and receive it as truth. So let's look then at the people who, he, who are receiving the message. And there's some debate here about who these people are. Are they Jews uh, who are dispersed throughout modern-day Turkey? Or are they Gentiles, Roman converts, who have been uh, just kind of thrown out of society? And I have my own opinions of that, but it really isn't uh, super important. The bottom line, and this is why Peter is writing, is that Christians, believers, people, men and women who were claiming the name of Christ were being persecuted. They were in a low estate. They were under trial. And Peter, being a good shepherd, writes this to them, trying to encourage them and give them hope. And he calls them elect exiles. He, he writes this to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now listen to that covenantal language. Elect exiles. He is, he is encouraging these people by pointing back to Old Testament times and the people of God who were chosen, not because of anything that they were, not because they were some great, fantastic nation, but because God in his sovereignty chose them and loved them and caused them to be his. He is reminding these believers that they are no longer part of the world. Their relationship to the world has been severed. They are now people chosen by God. He is telling them by this title that you are people chosen by God in his good pleasure and given to the Son. They, they might be exiles in this world, but they are heirs with Christ. And so this title has weight. It has purpose. He is encouraging them that this world is not your home. You're just a passing through. Heaven is your home. And so the, the difficulties that you face in this moment immediately, they are not what eternity offers. This is only for a time. Heaven is your true home. Christ, your true king. And my brothers, I have to ask you, does the world consider you an alien? And I know what you think, that, that thought brings back like men in black or something like that some kind of weird green or gray alien. And some of you look like that. I'm not going to lie. But what I mean is, and I'm talking to you, senior class, but what I mean is, is do, do the, does the world, when you interact with them, do they see you and consider you as alien? When you talk to them about the things of God, what Christ has done in your life, about the Bible, when they see you in a coffee shop doing your devotions or studying, do you get strange looks? Do people come up to you and say, what are you reading? What a weirdo. If not, then you've got some problems. Because as we're told in 1 John, or I'm sorry, not 1 John, but John, John's gospel in John 15, that if you truly believe Christ, and if you truly believe he is the only way to salvation, then the hard truth is, brothers, the world will hate you. The world will see you as strangers, see you as outcasts. We see that in John 15, 18 and 19, it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Are you an alien to the people of this world? You should be if you are a true believer. But Peter, now having reminded these believers who they are and the relationship that they have to the world, simply through a title, encourages them further in verse 2 by reminding them of the work of God that has been done in their lives. It's, he's, he's laying out for them the origin of their conversion, the source of their, their hope. And he presents these chosen, oppressed, low people with a strong doctrinal Trinitarian viewpoint and theology. So let's look at this second point. As exiles find peace through trials by the grace already received. How do we do this? Peter lays this out. You are elect exiles of the dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does this mean? It means that they have been chosen by God by his eternal decree, which has been made in God's perfect foreknowledge and providence. And for it really is for his own holy purposes to set these people apart and to bring glory to himself in doing it. And it is done before the foundation of the world. Our, our uh, confession talks of this in glorious terms. In, in conf, uh, Westminster Confession, chapter 3, uh, section 5, it says, Those of mankind that are predestined unto life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any foresight of faith or good works or perseverance in either of them or any other thing in the creature as conditions or causes moving him thereunto and all to the praise of his glorious grace. Let that sink in. That is glorious, glorious wording from our confession of faith. And we hear that and we can revel in it, but brothers, there are men and women who would call themselves believers who despise this doctrine. They despise election. They, they want to little, belittle God and say, no, the Lord looked down the tunnels of time and he, he saw what men would choose and who would believe in him and made his declaration off of that. But my brothers, that's a foolish doctrine. It's a foolish way to look at our God. Our God has never learned anything. He knows all things and he has declared through his perfect foreknowledge and providence that we would be his elect people, that these men and women in dispersion, in a low estate would be his people. Praise God. Do you ever reflect on this? That no matter whatever trial or hardship or persecution that comes along, that your election is so, so secure that nothing can take you from it. Nothing can separate you from what God has accomplished and what God has decreed and what Christ has accomplished. It is a glorious thing to chew upon on our daily lives. But Peter goes on by laying out the work of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the next section. He says, according that you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. He says, exiles, you are exiled or you are elect <coughs> because of the foreknowledge of the Father, but you receive in your lives the sanctification and the work of the Spirit. 
not through some personal piety and not through some good works towards others that you yourself do, but you are filled with the Spirit because of the grace given to you by Christ. And we know what this sanctification is. Our shorter catechism, once again, tells us about this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. That's the encouragement that this brother Peter is bringing to these in dispersion. He knows that they are surrounded by wickedness, surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by persecution. And what he's telling you is that you have been chosen by God and you have been given the sanctification of the spirit for your benefit so that you will be made more and more like Christ and live unto righteousness and die unto sin. You are set apart, no longer part of the world. And brothers, this doctrine appears throughout the New Testament. Places like 2 Corinthians uh, 5, Ephesians 2, 23 and 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. But we also find this in the Old Testament, don't we? We find this in places like Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, that speaks of the transforming power of the Spirit. Ezekiel writes this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Brothers, what we get as being set apart by God in his perfect foreknowledge and providence is the gift of the Spirit. And the Spirit is a, an amazing member of the, of the Godhead that is so overlooked nowadays. But brothers, without the Spirit, we, we cannot do anything. The Spirit brings the truth of the Word of God and he makes us believe it. Think about that. You read your Bible and the Spirit makes you believe what you are reading as truth, as the truth of God. The Spirit is brought as that, is sent as that great helper to us, transforming us from the inside out, indwelling us, changing our whole being. He purifies us and he applies that shed blood of Christ to us. That completed work of Christ for our souls. And he makes us to accept and receive and rest on Christ alone for our salvation. Without the spirit, brothers, we cannot believe. We cannot receive the grace bestowed on us before the foundation of the world by our heavenly father without this spirit. We cannot bear fruit and grow in our faith and, and grow in our love of God without this spirit. The spirit makes us live for Christ. That is his goal. It is the goal of the spirit to make us live as Christ. And I, I wonder, brothers, how often in your prayer lives do you ask the Lord to fill you more and more with his spirit? Fill you with his spirit so that you might be strengthened in your faith. That you would be enlightened in your mind as you read the scriptures and as you teach others that you would be changed 
more and more to be like Christ Jesus, your Savior, and that perfect example we are given in this life. The goal of the Spirit is to make us live for Christ. And that's what Peter is now getting into in this next part of the verse. He says, brothers, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the, sanctific- in the sanctification of the Spirit. But for what purpose? For obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. You might be asking yourself, what does this obedience look like? I know I have younger children. Some of you have older children and, and younger children. I, I think about this question a lot. What does obedience look like? When I demand obedience from my children, what is it that I'm expecting? Well, I can tell you what the Lord expects. Our obedience is to be immediate. It is to be cheerful. It is to be complete. That's the obedience that we are to have towards Christ. If you are elect, obedience is a distinguishing mark. It distinguishes you from the rest of society. Those unbelievers do not understand and they will not obey the word of God. But you are to obey it. Our confession talks about this as well in our shorter catechisms. What is the duty God requires of man? Obedience to his revealed will. And again, this obedience is to be immediate. It is to be cheerful, complete. Brothers, don't let that overwhelm you. It is, it is a progressive thing. We are, we are called for immediate, cheerful, and complete obedience, but it is progressive. We learn through the sanctification of the Spirit how to obey better. And I want to encourage you parents, if you are teaching your children what true obedience looks like to you and to God, continue on in that. You might say, I've spanked my son like 15 times today. He just doesn't get it. This kid's got as thick of a butt as he does a head. And you, you, you get discouraged. We have this tendency to say, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to throw my hands up. But brothers, stay the course. Stay the course and see the growth and sanctification of the Lord in, in your prayers for your children and in, in, in putting them under the means of grace and seeing them grow and learn and, and understand their catechisms and seeing the praises of God. You will see that progressive sanctification in their lives. Continue on. Do not lose hope. Do not be discouraged. The Lord does not do that for us. And you can think about how often we neglect true obedience. If you have children, you can think about that yourself as I do. What am I demanding of my children that I'm not giving to the Lord? But there is good news with this progressive sanctification. And that is, that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for the purpose of obedience to Jesus Christ, but you will not be perfect at this. And because you are not perfect, you can rely on the sprinkling of Christ's blood. That sprinkling that takes place, that washes away our sins, that cleanses us, that, that gift that we receive from our Redeemer, you will fail. But when you do, you can have confidence and have peace knowing that the blood of Christ cleanses you and it cleanses you from all unrighteousness before God. It sets you before God on the merits of Christ alone. That's glorious. 
if I was Vody Bauckham, I'd say, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. But I'm not Vody Bauckham, obviously. But what a glorious truth. And then Peter closes his opening statement here in 1 Peter 1 and 2 with something that, that people debate about. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, again, I say that there is some debate about this. There are commentators, believe it or not, who will say, there are other people that, that study this and they make too much of this statement. We shouldn't make too much of this statement because it's really just a greeting. I disagree. This, this greeting and, and final statement that he lays out in his initial greeting, again, is setting up the rest of the book. This, is, this, this idea of grace and peace is a main theme throughout the book of 1 Peter. In, in not, not just this section, but throughout the rest of the five chapters, the word grace or gracious is used at least nine times throughout five chapters. Not to mention the discussion about the good news and that which you've received and these kind of things. It is a major theme. What is Peter doing here? He is laying out for these brethren a blessing and a prayer. Again, we know that Peter, hearing about the the persecutions of these men and women and children, writes to them to encourage them. And now, as the, the shepherd that is trying to encourage them, he also prays for them. And what is his prayer? that grace and peace would be multiplied to them, that the Lord's work would be completed in their lives, that, that the Spirit would fill them and sanctify them from uh, the inside out and perfect them in righteousness, in the midst of turmoil and difficulty and hardship and, and, and just unbelievable idolatry and wickedness around them. But also, not only is it a main theme, not only is it, a prayer of, of Peter to these people, or for these people, that is. But what else would give security like the peace of Christ? What he's just talked about here. That peace and grace that's already received. What else is to strengthen us and encourage us in times of difficulty? If you cannot be in, encouraged and strengthened by the fact that you are an elect exile, if you cannot be uh, satisfied with the fact that it is according to the foreknowledge of God, your heavenly Father, from before the foundation of the world, if you do not understand the sanctification and the, the gift that that is in your life, or the obedience that you are supposed to show and the sprinkling of Christ's blood on your behalf, where else are you going to find encouragement? What other peace is there? There is none, brothers. And so Peter, knowing this, lays out, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, exponentially so, so that as you go through your life, you might live as Christ, even in the face of great persecution and hardship and great pain and suffering. Live as Christ and may it be multiplied to you. And that is how Peter closes this greeting. And so, brothers, when you see the world look so foreign to us as it does now, and it will get more so, I'm sure. We may be considered aliens and strangers, hated by the world, and that's fine. 
But when we face persecution, trials, tribulations, hardships, be reminded that you can stand firm in your election by God. And you can, you can receive and stand firm and strong in that grace that is already received, that is already completed on your behalf. We can be strong knowing that we have received the Spirit and that He is working in our lives. And we can rest on that completed work of Christ applied to us in the new covenant of His blood for all eternity until He calls us home. Amen. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we do thank you that you are a great and merciful and majestic God. Lord, you have bestowed your mercy on us uh, exponentially, beyond measure. And how could we ever repay? Father, we look at a passage like this and we thank you for knowing us from before the foundation of the world, but not just knowing us, choosing us as your people, setting us apart for the grace that would be found in Christ and filling us with your spirit that we might know what true sanctification is, what true righteousness is. Lord, we ask that you would help us in our journeys, uh, whether we're in the beginning of seminary or looking to go out into the ministry. We know, Lord, that this world is a harsh and difficult place. But Lord, we do ask for your strength. We ask for your mercy and your grace and that you would give us peace, peace that is found only in what is completed on that cross by your beloved son and lamb that was slain for us. Father, we do ask that you would strengthen our faith, concrete us in your word, put our feet upon the rock that is our savior. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.